you have your Bibles, we'll turn back to 1 Thessalonians and we'll pick up chapter 4. And reading, starting in verse 13. I know we've already covered this section in depth, but it, it ties straight into chapter 5, which we haven't looked at extensively recently. So, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, or proceed, them which are asleep. For... The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one, another's, uh, one another with these words." You've got this beautiful picture of the Lord returning on that last day, and this is to let them know they didn't have to sorrow as others which don't have hope. Then it continues in chapter 5. It says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I should write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the, of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. If you look up those words, times and seasons, the word time there uh, is an interval, a period of time. Okay, So the period of time, how long is it going to be until the Lord comes back? How long? And the seasons, the season there means a specific occasion. How long and the what of when is He coming back? He says, I don't have to write unto you. You have no need that I should write unto you. Earlier this morning, we looked at another spot where he said, I don't have to write unto you, and that was that you have brotherly love one to another that God is teaching. And he said, I don't have to tell you. This thing is basic and obvious. Why is it basic and obvious? Verse 2, it says, For ye so yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. What does that mean? It means you don't know when it's coming. Right? And there's going to be all sorts of prognosticators throughout time, who are going to tell you that they know when He's coming. They've cracked the code, they've done some hibbity-jibbities in here, and now they know exactly when it is. They're lying. Right? It says, I don't even have to write you about this because you know perfectly it comes at a thief in the night. Okay? Matthew 24. I'm going to illustrate this. Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and verse 42. Context is the Lord coming back. Describing that. Verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch, or what time of the night, the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for
For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Okay? You don't know when He's coming. The charge is to watch and to not be asleep because He's coming when you don't think He is. Okay? Again, over in Revelation 3 and 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. This is written under the church of Sardis. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Okay, Got this, this imagery of the Lord returning as a thief at an hour unlooked for. It comes again in Revelation 16 and 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Okay? So in all of these, there's an admonition to continue to watch, to be sober, to be diligent um, while we're waiting because you don't know when the Lord will come. But of the times, the how long, the interval, and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. Back in 1 Thessalonians 5. For yourselves know perfectly, fully understand that, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Verse 3, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So, you're not looking for it, and those prognosticators are saying everything's good, got peace and safety right now that's going to come suddenly the same way that labor pains will suddenly start on a woman. She can't tell you when she's going to go into labor. Her husband certainly can't tell you. He better not guess, right? But it's going to come upon it suddenly, and they shall not escape. But, even though you don't know that peace, but ye brethren are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. What does that mean? I thought you just said we wouldn't know when it is. You won't know when it is. But you shouldn't be surprised when it does happen. Not that you can predict when it's going to happen, but you should be living your life in the same way as if it's going to happen this afternoon, or tomorrow, or next week, or next month, that the same pattern, of course, of your life, that you should be ready so it doesn't overtake you, so it doesn't surprise you. If the good man had known he was coming, he would have stayed and watched. Well, if the good man's wise, he'd stay awake and he'd watch all the time. Right? So you're living a consistent life where we're not you know, walking around naked as it was in Revelation, that we keep our garments, that we keep our godly lifestyle and manner consistently where we don't bring shame upon ourselves and shame upon our Lord. Right? When we make mistakes and when we sin, we're bringing reproach upon the name of God. Right? He bought and paid for you. You're His child. You are now a reflection of His glory. When you fail to walk to that standard, you're bringing reproach upon Him and you're giving much occasion for the enemies of Christ to blaspheme or reproach. Reproach Him, okay? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. Okay, there are some who are in complete darkness and they will be utterly shocked. Right? It will be very surprising to them. Right? You are not that. Ye are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. This is all referring to your spiritual enlightenment. 
That God enlightened your eyes when you're born again, that suddenly you can see. You've got those eyes to see. And now that you're in the light of Jesus Christ and seeing what He's done, we have to walk in that light. Not going back to that manner of darkness where we were before, when you were dead in trespasses and sins, living the lifestyle of this world, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and all that goes with that. Right? That is, that is what it's like most describing here is this sleeping. That's when you're back in that state of deadness where you are pursuing the things of this world instead of walking in the light of Jesus Christ. Right? You are all children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And we looked at these verses pretty carefully back when we were in Titus, right? When we were looking at that idea of being sober-minded, of being alert, about being focused, of having your head on the swivel like you're out running uh, maneuvers in the military. You want to stay alert for possible dangers, for things that can trip you up, for traps. Because we face an adversary who is wily and cunning, right? And we are to be on our guard against those, okay? Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch, be alert, and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, And they that are drunken are drunken in the night. It's the world. That's not us. But let us who are of the day be sober. Be sober-minded. Be right-minded. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. So this is kind of the abridged form of the armor of God, right? But this follows right into the theme of Thessalonians, right? Works of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or your breastplate is your faith and your love guarding your heart and then that hope of Christ, of Jesus Christ returning, that's guarding your head, right? Our head and our heart can get us in a lot of trouble when we are not wrapping ourselves in the Word of God and His truth, of His love, our faith in Him, and our security and the salvation that He's bought for. That's, that's how we guard ourselves really from ourselves and then from the world. Okay? Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. That's why he keeps admonishing them to grow in those things. All right, Just don't be content with that one little patch of armor. Right? Continue to grow in love. Continue to grow in faith. Right? And have your patience and hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in helmet, the hope of salvation. Why? For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Aren't you glad of that? You've not been appointed to wrath. That on that day of judgment... There is going to be those who are appointed to rest and those that are appointed to wrath. Right? God could have left us all in our natural condition of being due and worthy and justified, justifiably punished in His wrath. But He, didn't cho- he chose not to. For His own grace and His own glory, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, not to... Not to get the opportunity for salvation, not to have the chance, not to get it. Here's your raffle ticket, and you know, one out of 500, and you may win. Obtain. When Jesus said, It's finished, y'all, he wasn't lying. It's finished. It was secure. Okay? Not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, our Master, Jesus. God saves the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Holy One of God. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. See, this is all tying back into, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, of those who are asleep. Thought continues. Whether we wake or sleep, we will, should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. 
Comfort one another with these truths. When you have someone who's passed away, when you've got someone who's dying, these are the truths that you share with them. This is what you comfort them. That Jesus Christ is going to return and you're going to be with Him and that He bought you by His death and by the resurrection that God accepted that purchase and you are now in His family and you've obtained salvation through Him. This is how you comfort one another and build each other up. It's edify, right? We're building each other up. These past few months, that's all I've been trying to focus on is every time I'm trying to use the word encourage, what I mean in that is, is edify. How can I encourage you? How can I build you up? And I'm trying to be active in that, and I want you all to be active in that in each other, of how can we build each other up, not just in our own thoughts and beliefs, but in the Word of God. How do we strengthen each other in His Word? Help us be all rooted and grounded together in love together. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also we do. All right, verse 12, we get these last kind of throwing everything in the kitchen sink to wrap up the letter. All right? It's kind of a sundry things to, to cap- capture. And we beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm asking you on my knees, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Okay. So those two verses, I think, are coupled together. Beseech you, brethren, I'm begging you to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Who's it talking about? Preachers, pastors, teachers. Those who are trying to deliver the Word to you faithfully. It says to know them. You know what that word know means? It means literally, it means to see. To see, to behold, to consider, look upon. Right? So if He is putting a laborer in your vineyard, you need to be watching Seeing the example that he lives, because Lord willing, his matching his life is matching up what he's teaching. Right? So consider them, follow them, to know them which labor among you. That word labor literally translates to feel fatigue, to work hard, that there should be effort going into this, this role that he's been put in by God's you know, calling, put him into his vineyard, said, know them, watch them, which labor among you and are over you, which means to stand before, to preside. Um, over you in the Lord, right? And admonish you. Admonish means to put you in mind, to caution, and also to reprove gently. Right? You've heard me say a time or two that I'm trying to lead as gently as possible and as firmly as necessary. Reprove gently. Right? And admonish you. To know them which labor among you and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So to esteem means to, to deem or to consider them you know, worthy. To esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Not because they're such awesome people, but because of the awesome responsibility that they've been put upon. Right? It's for their work's sake. To esteem them highly. To, uh, that word highly means super abundantly, exceedingly. And all that is, is why? Why is that? For the work's sake. Because it is a, a, a high and serious calling. So they need your prayers. <laughs> and then I like how they tack on it there and be at peace among yourselves. You want to encourage your pastor? Be at peace among yourselves. <laughs> you want to lift him up? Be at peace among yourselves. All right? And then verse 14, it goes on. And now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Those are the insubordinate, inside or outside the church. Warn them. Gently admonish them. 
Comfort the feeble-minded. Feeble-minded, it means little-spirited or faint-hearted. Comfort them. Support the weak, which again means feeble or sick. Be patient. It's long-spirited, forbearing. Towards all men. What about the ones who have different political views of me? (laughs) Yeah, those too. Be patient towards all men. Verse 15, See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Okay? None render evil for evil. You and I do not return evil when evil is put upon us. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be... That's what the world does, right? That's the defect. That's our natural reaction. You hit me in the face, I'm going to hit you right twice as hard, right? Make you think about it. That's not what we're called to. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good. Both among yourselves, again, be at peace among yourselves, follow good among yourselves and to all men. Right? There is no limiting language on this to just a certain group of people. Just like God's not a respecter of persons, we are to be good to all. Even our worst enemies falls into that category of neighbor who we're to love at least as much as we love ourselves. Is that hard? Yes. Does your carnal nature want to say, No! Yeah, your carnal nature does. Is your carnal nature wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. Fight against it. Don't feed it. And certainly don't justify it. Well, I'm just this way. <laughs> yeah, well, we were all born that way, dead in trespasses and sins, but we're not called to that anymore. We're called to a higher calling. Okay? But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. That is to be glad, to experience joy. Join the Lord evermore without ceasing. Remember, this church is going through severe persecutions and Paul's saying rejoice. This is not just fleeting emotions. This isn't everything's calm and so now I can be happy. I'm waiting for things to get better so I can be happy. No, it's rejoice now. Evermore. Why? Because of those truths that I've just told you about that can be comforting to you regardless of anything that's going on. You can rejoice in that. That you have a successful Savior who loved you before the foundation of the world and continues to love love you no matter if you've messed up today. He continues to love you. right? And is faithful to forgive you when you confess your sins to Him and repent from them. Rejoice evermore. Evermore. And then pray. Pray without ceasing. We spent last Sunday looking at 17 different references in the first... In First and Second Thessalonians to prayer. Right there is a lot of references to prayer. Prayer is a very important thing. You and I, let's be candid, we neglect it. Right? We don't pray like we ought to. We have the opportunity to commune with the Creator of the universe, who's our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, unhindered, and yet we don't take advantage of the access. Right? We treat it cheaply or callously, or at worst, we just fall asleep because we're too inattentive. Right? Pray without ceasing and connected with that. And everything, give thanks. Give thanks. And everything. You know, we'd be less likely to be in the mully grubs about what we don't have if we're spending all of our time in prayer thanking God for all the things that He's already done. Right? Big picture and little picture. And everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't know what the will of God is for me. Well, we learned earlier the will of God is your sanctification, that you be more holy, and that in everything you give thanks. Right? If you don't know anywhere else to start, start there. I need to be more holy because of what Christ has done for me, and out of gratitude, not so I can be pharisaical and appear to be good to men, right? so I can pat myself on the back and say, oh, I'm so religious. No, but so I can be more like my Savior. Right? I want to be conformed to His image. That's what I'm predestinated to, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Right? And everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, 
Quench not the spirit, which means to extinguish. So if you need to sing, uh, you know, shout hallelujah during preaching service, go ahead and do it. That's okay. That's allowed. If you need to say amen, that's okay. That's allowed. Right? Quench not the spirit. Verse 20 says, despise not prophesying. Now, this is one of those special gifts during the apostolic period when people, before the whole New Testament was written, they would have the ability to prophesy and say these are things that are going to come. You know, one said that there was going to be a famine in the day of certain uh, Roman uh, Caesar. And there was. And there was one guy named Agabus who told Paul, if you go down to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you just like they're going to take this girdle around you and they're going to put you in jail. That was a prophesy. It says don't despise prophesying. Okay? However, 21 is connected to that. Prove all things. Test all things. And then what do you hold fast to? That which is good. All right? Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. So in everything that you are, are taught and told, it needs to be checked and hold fast to that which is good. What is good is what will hold up through this. All right? There is a bunch of garbage in this world. Right? And if you filter it through this, if you sieve it through this, you'll be left with the good stuff and you'll leave the garbage aside. Okay? Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. All forms of evil, all modes of evil, all looks of evil. Right? Abstain from it. Hold it off from yourself. This is like how Jesus took adultery. It said it's not just the physical act. It's using lusting with your eyes and it goes farther than that. Same thing here. It's not just physically committing the evil. Don't even look like you're engaging in it. Don't get anywhere close to it. It's not to see how close to the line can I get without being too far. It's flee from the line altogether. Alright? That's feeding the wrong side of nature, right? We want to feed feed our, our spiritual nature and the inner man, not the things of this world. Abstain from all appearances of evil. 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you, make you holy. Sanctify you wholly. That's complete with a W. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole package. Your life, your immortal soul, and your body. Un- be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is He able to do that? Because it's He and the one who's doing it. Faithful is He that called you, who also will do it. Right? It's by His own power. 25, brethren, pray for us. There's a general prayer request. Paul's asking for prayers. They're going through afflictions. Right? Hearing about the good news about these Thessalonians being uh, faithful encouraged him in their affliction, but he's still asking, brethren, pray for us. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. All right, this is the question that Justin asked me the other day. He's like, you skipped over the holy kiss verse. I was like, huh? I was talking about prayer. It didn't, didn't come up. All right, so let's, let's dive into bre- greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. All right, what is Paul doing? Paul is sending his love, right? He is away. He cannot get to him. He wants them to greet, which that, Hebrew, that Greek word means to embrace or enfold in one's arms. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Holy being sacred. This is something different than just the carnal, secular use. And kisses, well, really, it's a kiss. Okay? It's a mark of tenderness. Okay? Alright, so let's see some of the times kissing shows up. Luke 15. Luke 15, 20, this is the prodigal son, right? He went away, he was dead, eating pig slop, came back to be a servant in his dad's house. His dad sees him coming, and he runs out to greet him, right? 
He arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Slightly different Greek word here. This one means to kiss earnestly. Okay? He fell on his neck and kissed him. All right? This is a sign of great tenderness. Right? There's nothing vile or gross about this. This is a father whose son was for all practical purposes dead and has come again and he is so excited and overcome with love that he wants to show that tenderness and affection. Right? Let's go back to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. This is when Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house. His name's Simon. Okay. A woman there breaks an alabaster box of ointment, pours it on him, weeping um, over his feet, and washed his feet with her tears, and wiped them the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet. That's the same kiss as the, um, the father, kissing earnestly. Okay. So down there in verse 44, He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. She hath washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. That's the same standard kiss, not the earnest one. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. And that's the more impassioned one. That's the earnest one. Okay? So here's one where at that time the custom there would have been for that host to show his affection for his guest with a kiss. And he didn't do it here. And my best understanding is this would be a kiss on the cheek. We're not talking pluck and lip to lip. Um, But here you've got the woman who's showing her great affection for the master by earnestly kissing his feet. And then you've got the Pharisee who's so cold he would not, you know, perform the, the standard custom. Right? Okay. Let's go over to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. This ends the letter. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Again, you've got this greeting, this embracing. Um, you're enfolding your arms around each other, you're welcoming. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Again, that holy being sacred. This is something that's not profane. This is not not something that has uh, sexual connotations. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Alright, so I think in connection with this, you have to take in 1 Corinthians 7.1 where it says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Right? Nevertheless, let every man have his own wife. So I don't think this involves kissing folks of the opposite sex. I don't think that's what's entailed. I think you take that in connection with 1 Thessalonians 5.22, let there be no appearance of evil. That would, again, preclude there's being these shows of affection to those of just the same, same gender. All right? And again, this is nothing vile or, or sexual um, going on. Okay? Let's go again to uh, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 37. Um, Paul is about to take leave of his friends, um, and they he, he knows he's never going to see him again, basically. Um, 
verses 36, he said, When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. All right? So he is going away for the last time. And they're showing this tender affection for him and love for him as he's about to depart. Because he's going to go on to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, and he's going to spend, uh, you know, go on to, to Rome for a great period of time. So, if you were to look over in Romans 16, 16, you'd have a similar admonition from 2 Corinthians about um, greet one another with a holy kiss. Romans 16, 16, salute one another. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. And again in 1 Peter 5, 1, 5, 14. Greet one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, do I think this is compulsory? That now as you come into church that you have to kiss each other? No, I don't think that's compulsory. Um, But I want you to think about the the few people in your life um, that you would tolerate to give you a kiss. I would suspect for most of you it would be just your parents. But that close, tender love and affection that a father can have for a son to give him a kiss. Okay? Y'all, we need to grow in love. Right? So that whole letter has been about growing in love. Okay? And so while I'm definitely not going to advocate for y'all forcefully showing that, oh, look, we're growing in love. <laughs> but I want y'all to love each other so much that when one of you is away for, for a long period of time, or heaven, you know, say I go travel overseas or something, I'm gone for a month or something, and maybe I was in grave danger, Right? If I come back, there, there may be a more of a desire to show that tenderness and affection. Right? And I think that would be okay. okay? So this, is not, this is not just something that would be you know, old hat or, or a show, or just for a show, but this would be something that should be just welling up out of how much love and affection you have one for another. So don't worry about that outward show until we've got that massive growth in love. That's my best understanding on the holy kiss. So, wrap it up. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Everybody should have it, should listen to the letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Letter to the Thessalonians.